It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, guys, welcome in today's episode of Locked On SEC Podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host, Blake Lovell, and on today's episode of the podcast, we look at some news items uh, with transfers, uh, players entering the NBA draft process, and more, plus how the NCAA ultimately made the decision to cancel the NCAA tournament, uh, some insight from uh, the VP, the Senior Vice President of Basketball in the NCAA, Dan Gabbitt. Uh, he had a lot to say about that on a recent podcast with John Rothstein. We'll get into that. And uh, John Calipari uh, had a, a media video conference uh, on Tuesday and talked about a lot of different things, but specifically um, his concern with uh, the NBA draft process, which is something we've talked about here on the podcast recently, and how that could affect uh, players here moving forward. But we start with some news items, and uh, transfers are all over the place right now. There are lots of them, and uh, there are several SEC teams, and we won't go into every single transfer that's out there uh, because we know there's pretty much everyone, you know, could be in on some of these top-tier transfers. Uh, but we will specifically look at some of these uh, based on uh, reports uh, from, from college basketball writers around the country. Uh, Jamarius Burton from Wichita State, uh, someone who uh, is going to be a very, very um, highly pursued transfer. He averaged 10.3 points per game last season as a sophomore. Um, and uh, Auburn, one of the teams uh, among the mix there uh, for him, a 6'4 guard um, who, you know, is going to be someone, and he's one of several uh, that have transferred from Wichita State at this point. And, um, you know, he's he's someone that, that lots of teams are in the mix for uh, and not surprising in terms of what he's able to do on the court. Uh, played a very key role for the Shockers uh, last season and, uh, you know, has interest from, from lots of different programs. Uh, I know Louisville, Colorado, some of the others that are among the mix in terms of the teams uh, that are pursuing him. Uh, another one, uh, EJ Anasike, uh from Sacred Heart. Uh, he is someone, you want to talk about stats, um, he, he had pretty good stats last season. 15.7 points per game, 11.6 rebounds per game, uh, shot 48.4% from the floor, a 6'6 junior um, who, you know, averaged a double-double last season for the Pioneers, and um, he is, uh, again, someone who's probably going to uh, have a lot of interest uh, when it comes to other teams around the country trying to bring him in, and two in the SEC that have been mentioned um, are Georgia and Tennessee. Um, We talked about Tennessee's potential to be a top 15 team heading into next season. Um, Having someone like this, a grad transfer, who would be able to come in right away and play, that would be significant for the Vols, and that would give them yet another uh, player on their roster. And, And I think at that point, you would, without question, I would probably look at Tennessee and say that is without question to me you know, a top 15 type of team based on who they have coming back. And uh, if they were able to, to add someone like Anasike, um, that would be huge for them. And um, so the Vols uh, would be in the mix there. And Georgia, I mean, I think we know Georgia's going to lose Anthony Edwards, um, a, a team that, you know, we, we still, it's hard to get a handle on Georgia, I think, at this point because we don't know exactly, you know, what to expect from them. They're going to lose what could be be the, the number one overall pick in the NBA draft, and you have to replace, uh, you know, some of the guards that, that they're going to lose as well. So uh, Georgia's roster is going to be talented, but there's still going to be a lot of youth on that roster, and, you know, adding someone like this, who's a grad transfer that averaged a double-double last season, 
would be uh, a big get uh, for the Bulldogs. Some of the other teams mentioned uh, for Anasike, uh, Louisville, Gonzaga, Boston College, Wake Forest, and Georgetown. So uh, several teams uh, also in the mix there for him. Then, uh, speaking of Georgia, um, their assistant coach, Joe Scott, uh, is someone that is apparently being mentioned um, for the Air Force job. And that is uh, important because he was the former Air Air Force head coach um, and uh, now an assistant under Tom Crean. And uh, he was a coach for for them. And Jeff Goodman mentioned it on Twitter. Um, He did something that uh, has not, you know, been very, very hard to do. Um, He won the Mountain West Conference regular season title at Air Force back in 2004. And that's something that Jeff Goodman noted because that is not something that's easy to do um, at Air Force is to to have, um, you know, that type of success and be at the very top of the Mountain West. But Joe Scott was able to do that among the mix uh, and, uh, you know, could very well wind up being the guy that goes back there uh, considering his familiarity uh, with that program. And, um, you know, we'll see, I guess. But, uh, you know, that could be a situation where uh, Tom Crean is needing to replace uh, one of his assistants uh, heading into next season. Speaking of NBA draft, um, a couple noteworthy ones. Uh, Alabama, Kyra Lewis, and John Petty both entering the NBA draft process. I don't think that's a surprise, and and as we've seen over the past couple of years now, it's not going to be a surprise to see any of these types of players um, entering the NBA draft process because there's nothing that, you know, it doesn't hurt you to do it anymore um, where you can go through the process, make your decision, come back to school if you want. Um, and no surprise to two guys like this who are those you know, guys who right now probably projected, Kyra Lewis projected an early second-round type of pick, potentially a late first-round pick, and then John Petty's probably in that second-round tier. Um, but we'll go more into that in terms of maybe how this year specifically could affect Alabama, and we've already talked about it. Um, could these ultimately be two guys that come back to school based on the unknowns with the NBA draft process? Uh, and we'll get into John Calipari's comments on that uh, coming up later on. But uh, no surprise to see two guys like this uh, who are on a lot of draft boards uh, enter the draft process. Now just a, a matter of seeing uh, whether or not uh, they decide to come back uh, to college uh, for another season. And then um, on a on a sad note, uh, former Texas A&M player David Edwards has passed away uh, due to the coronavirus. Uh, he played for the Aggies in the early 90s. Um, he was a senior in the 93-94 season. And, um, you know, just, just unfortunate. Obviously, we, we know what's going on around the world. But his uh, his former teammate there, Charles Henderson, uh, put out a post uh, on Monday uh, talking about uh, that, that Edwards had passed away and um, just put some, some old photos of them on there. And I'll put the link to the story Dallas Morning News did uh, with a, a great story on Edwards and just his background. Oh, Frank Haith, uh, the former Missouri coach and uh, now Tulsa head coach, uh, put out uh, something on Twitter as well, um, paying you know tribute to to Edwards uh, because uh, Haith was one of the coaches um, on that team, and um, so uh, he put out a tribute to him as well. But uh, I'll put the link again to that in the show notes, and you can uh, read more about Edwards, uh, who was uh, known as a a competitor, and you can see in some of the quotes uh, that he had uh, in this piece in the Dallas Morning News um, some of the quotes he had uh, as a senior, but uh, a, a fierce competitor, and you can see uh, why in talking about. Uh, you know some of the the players and and people who were around him uh, mentioned his competitiveness so uh, I'll put that link uh, in the show notes there uh, for that so but coming up uh, we will look at uh, some thoughts from 
the NCAA Senior Vice President of Basketball, Dan Gavitt, uh, in his recent interview with John Rothstein uh, about how they decided to make some of the decisions that they did on the NCAA tournament. Uh, what were some of the backup plans they had? Uh, we'll go into that coming up here on the Locked On SEC Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. And the NCAA tournament has uh, been a hot topic of discussion over the past couple of weeks based on everything going on. And, um, you know, a lot of people were wondering, how was that decision made? Uh, what was that process like? Uh, we mentioned in a recent episode of the podcast, uh, Kyle Tucker uh, of The Athletic and Locked On Kentucky did an interview with uh, Mitch Barnhart, uh, who was the vice chair of the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee, and uh, we talked about his thoughts on it. But uh, Dan Gavitt, who is the NCAA's senior vice president of basketball, uh, did a, a podcast with John Rothstein uh, this week and uh, was asked a lot about what went into the decision, how the entire process played out uh, with the NCAA tournament, and, and I thought he had uh, some fascinating uh, you know, thoughts on that in terms of uh, how ultimately they made the decision to cancel the NCAA tournament and what was what were some of the backup plans, uh, you know, looking at the different things in terms of releasing the bracket. Uh, but one of the things he mentioned uh, right off the bat, and I'll put the link uh, to uh, the podcast with John Rothstein uh, in the show notes, but uh, one of the things that, that Dan Gavitt mentioned was that even a week before, and I think this was something that lots of people were debating at the time and ultimately were saying, you know what, this is not going to go forward as planned, even though the NCAA may be saying that it is. Um, he basically said that that they were confident even a week before the tournament, which would have been, you know, obviously the Sunday uh, before the start of the SEC tournament, um, that the NCAA tournament would go forward as planned with everything uh, in place, meaning they would have been able to keep everything in the same cities. Um, they would have been able to have fans in attendance, all that. And, and he, you know, made that pretty clear that uh, as of the information they had at that point, they were fully expecting to move forward with the NCAA tournament a week before, and they were going about business as usual. Now, as we know, everything started to to uh, kind of um, spiral out of control on that Wednesday night at the SEC tournament in Nashville uh, when, uh, you know, the SEC made the decision to close the tournament to fans uh, starting on Thursday. Lots of other uh, conferences around the country had done that, with uh, the Ivy League being the one that stood out the most in terms of canceling their entire tournament. Um, but uh, that's when everything started to change, and it sounds like, you know, for Dan Gavitt, that was one of the things when, uh, you know, that that had to be something that they were looking at at that point, uh, seeing the, the Rudy Gobert stuff and the NBA suspending its season. Um, that was when everything started to, to move very quickly, as we know, uh, with this entire situation going on with the, the coronavirus. And um, that, I think, is when the NCAA started looking at potential options. And, and he mentioned some of those options, that they did have different contingency plans in place um, by first looking at some of the cities that were going to be affected. And their first, uh, what Gavin mentioned in the interview, is that uh, one of the things they did at first was to look at moving cities 
um, you know, finding different cities that they can move from because you had ones, as we said, Dayton, um, Cleveland, those were the two that stood out for everyone as though, okay, there's no way this NCAA tournament's going to be played uh, in Dayton or Cleveland, which we saw Ohio, uh, one of the states early on that was starting to make uh, significant moves in terms of, of limiting uh, its interactions with the public and all that. Um, and so Gavitt mentioned um, they did have the thought of moving cities, but then, you know, some of the backup sites that they had in place um, were, I think a couple that he mentioned on the podcast were Kansas City and Indianapolis were two of the ones that, that he did mention specifically. I'm sure there were others as well, uh, but uh, he did mention those as potential backup sites for the tournament if they had to move from some of the locations. Spokane was another one um, that uh, I think everyone understood, given the situation in that part of the country, that there was not going to be uh, you know business as usual in Spokane and for the NCAA tournament. So that was likely another one uh, that they looked at and said, okay, we're going to have to make some, some changes here potentially uh, with uh, some of these sites. Uh, and then then, uh, as we know, things escalated from there. Uh, the NCAA, you know, went from that to saying, okay, well, now we're not going to have fans in the building. And he talked a bit about that, too, in saying how that, you know, made an impact because uh, this was, it was a multi-step uh, situation here where at first, you know, it was, okay, let's look at backup plans for different cities. Um, then it went to, okay, we can't have fans in the building. And then, you know, the tournament was canceled. And so uh, he went into that process, and I did think it was very interesting because, uh, as we said, I mean, it's, you know, this was not an easy process for the NCAA. And, and I know we always get on them for some of the things that they do, but uh, this was an unprecedented situation. And John Rothstein asked him about that. You know, there was no precedent for making these types of decisions on the NCAA tournament like this. And I think that's something where, and Gavin went into it, you know, there was, that there was nothing they could look at to completely pattern this decision around because we have just never seen a situation like this. Um, and so uh, I thought that was something, too, that, that pointed out that, look, this was this was not an easy decision for anyone. And I don't think any of the moves that were made, um, while some of them were scrutinized, um, it's still something where, you know, these guys had to make the decisions they had to make based on the information that they had. And I think we're seeing now, you know, postponing the NCAA tournament was probably not ever going to be a realistic scenario uh, just because of the logistical issues with all of it, um, you know, because we're still probably looking at a, at a months-long type of process here versus just a process of a couple of weeks of things getting back to, to somewhat uh, being normal again. Um, and so I think, you know, pushing the NCAA tournament, I know everyone wanted to, to try to, Try to keep the NCAA tournament any way possible uh, for this year, but uh, I think canceling it, and he went to you know, the, the ideas surrounding that and uh, the thought process on, on why they, they had to go that route. And something else uh, he did talk about, and we've mentioned it several times too, is most people were wanting the NCAA to, to release a bracket uh, because they thought you know that would be something where, look, you at least release a bracket, you give these teams that earned their shot um, you know, th their moment uh, on the selection show. But what Gavitt said, and I, and I think it's hard to disagree with him, because this is one of the things I was thinking about, because, you know, that was one of the questions that was being asked, you know, and different people you talk to. I just didn't know that that was going to be possible. And one of the things he mentioned why was 
that there wasn't enough automatic qualifiers to release a bracket. And, you know, we talk about the SEC. You know, the SEC hadn't crowned its conference tournament champion. Now, we know, um, you know, likely that one of those champions may have been a team that would have already been in the field. But then again, you know, it could have been a team like Mississippi State or Arkansas that was trying to play its way into the tournament. Um, and so that left a lot of unknowns. And Gavitt specifically mentioned the total number of games on the men's side, 132 games that were yet to be played uh, that could have factored in to who would have made the NCAA tournament. The word he used in the interview was inauthentic, and I think that was that was pretty good. And, and he did compare it to bracketology and saying, you know, had we released a bracket, we would have been bracketologists, and he wasn't knocking bracketologists. Uh, he was just saying, look, we, we would not have been releasing the official NCAA tournament bracket we would have been releasing a projected bracket, and they just didn't feel like it was right to do that. And quite frankly, I don't disagree. I just think there were too many unknowns, and you would have had to make so many assumptions based on how things would have played out uh, that even if you release a bracket, there would have been a lot of people that would have been upset about it because you would have had some of these teams on bubbles, uh, bubble type of teams saying, hey, we didn't even get our opportunity to play in our conference tournament um, you know, to play our way into it. So, so how does that make those teams feel? And, and I think that's something that, that we look at and you know, I just there were lots of unknowns, and there were so many logistical things with this that I, you know, I didn't think the NCAA. I think there there are some of those decisions with the NCAA that people are going to talk about. Um, but uh, you know, we knew this tournament was not going to be played based on how things were playing out uh, around the world, and I think at that point it was just a matter of okay, well, well, how do we proceed forward? And I know people wanted the bracket to be released, but uh, as we're saying, I think there would have been a lot of things that would have gone into that that even. Even if you had released a bracket, I think everyone would have known this is not your NCAA tournament bracket. There were too many games still to be played. There were too many automatic bids out there. Uh, but uh, that's you know that's ultimately uh, how it panned out uh, for the NCAA. And uh, you know, like we said, I know it's it's not something any of us wanted. Uh, but uh, I did think Dan Gavitt's uh, you know thoughts on it uh, were, were pretty uh, interesting. And so I will put uh, that interview uh, with John Rothstein uh, in the show notes, and you can check that out if you want more thoughts. From Dan Gavitt on, on how the NCAA, um, you know, made the decision uh, with the NCAA tournament. But uh, coming up, uh, we will look at John Calipari's comments uh, on the NBA draft process and uh, his concerns with uh, the the draft process this season when it comes to players, not just his players, uh, but other players uh, in the game, and how uh, this could impact uh, not only the Kentucky Wildcats but uh, other teams around college basketball as well going into next season. So uh, we'll talk about that coming up. Here on the Locked On SEC Podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA. And now through June 30, get 0% APR for 84 months or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. And let me tell you guys about the most useful app on my phone, and it is Blinkist. Uh, it's hard to find the time to sit down and read anymore. Uh, and when you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. 
But there is an incredible app that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it, and it's called Blinkist. Uh, Blinkist is really unique. Uh, it works on your phone, your tablet, your web browser. Um, it takes the best key takeaways that need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Blinkist is made for busy people like you and I uh, who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using that information right away. And with its audio feature, uh, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute, your lunch break, or while you exercise. Uh, 12 million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, uh, to history books. It's got it all, and uh, Blinkist has the latest titles from bestseller lists uh, as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but just never got around to it. Uh, I use Blinkist because it's simple, easy to use, and with Blinkist, you can get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want and all for one low price. And right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience here. Uh, go to Blinkist. Blinkist.com slash MBA to try it free and for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash MBA to start your free seven-day trial, and you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash MBA. And Kentucky coach John Calipari uh, did a video conference with the media uh, on Tuesday, which is something that uh, lots of people are doing right now, as we know. Because of the inability to have all these in-person uh, press conferences right now, um, and he talked about a lot of different things, but one of the main points uh, that he hit on, and I think this was one of the first questions that he was asked in his press conference, was about the NBA draft process. And uh, again, if you didn't get a chance to listen to the interview uh, we did with Eric, with Arkansas head coach Eric Musselman on Tuesday's episode of the podcast. I would highly recommend to go back and listen to to Eric Musselman's response when I asked him about uh, you know the NBA draft process and how that could impact college basketball, particularly this season because of all the unknowns uh, with you know how the NBA is going to move forward, whether the draft's going to move forward as planned. Uh, could there be a potential situation where uh, the draft is moved? Because as of right now, you know we don't know that there will be a traditional NBA draft this season, and we certainly know that the NBA draft process probably not going to be as it always is because uh, of not knowing what's going to happen with the combines, with the in-person meetings between players and teams. Um, so many unknowns, and that's exactly what John Calipari was talking about in his press conference. Uh, he mentioned that right now he's in the same you know situation that a lot of other coaches are in and that they can't work out with players um, you know, at the gym. They, they can't do one-on-one -on -one meetings. And I think he said that if they do have meetings, they're not supposed to talk about basketball. Um, you know, and, and so I think that, that what he's saying is what he's having to do right now, and again, let's, let's remember, this is probably the case for, for lots of coaches around the country who have these types of players that are going to go and at least go through the NBA draft process. We mentioned Alabama earlier uh, with Nate Oates, um, and, and there are lots of other players in the SEC we know that are going to you know, go into the draft process. Isaac Okoro, Anthony Edwards, they're already there. We know they're going to go through it and, and be picked by one of these teams um, rather than come back to college. But for the guys maybe that we don't know that, that are on that, that tier of guys who could potentially come back to school or could keep their name in the NBA draft if they're able to impress enough, um, you know, to, to be at a spot where they want to be at um, in terms of where they could be selected. 
And that's what John Calipari is saying is talking about what he's having to do as a coach right now is to relay that information to players on where they stand in the NBA draft as of right now. And that could change, but where they stand right now. And his biggest concern, and I'll put the link to to his press conference. They they have it on YouTube so you can watch and get his specific comments on it. But uh, one of his concerns he mentioned was getting players prepared for the draft because he thinks it would be best to move that decision date back for players um, if there are going to be changes to the NBA draft. And again, this is where we talk about the the unknowns. Um, you know, if the NBA draft is moved back or if there are changes made to that, um, it would make sense to, to move that decision back for players to be able to, you know, make, the, to make their decision on, on entering the process at a later date. And though it's mainly the preparation because we don't, you know, players can be preparing right now, but they have to do it essentially on their own at this point. Um, and that's one of the things, you know, I mentioned Nate Oates earlier. He brought that up too in that it's going to separate some of these guys. You know, this is where we, when we talk about work ethic, this is where that work ethic comes in because you're not in the traditional setting of being able to work out with your teammates or, um, you know, to be able to work out with your, your entire team uh, or, you know, go into the gym on, on campus and do all these things. You're having to find ways to do this outside of your normal routine and your normal process and that's what's going to separate probably some of these guys and I think that's what John Calipari was saying is that the concerns with players getting prepared because they don't have access to the normal methods of preparing for the NBA draft and so that is something that I think really stands out and here's one of the quotes he had and this is one of the ones again early on in his press conference based on he talked about just the different things and this is from seaofblue.com which you can watch the press conference and get the actual quotes itself but here's what he had to say quote my worry is for guys working out right now if they spend two months and don't do anything and then try to go work out for an NBA team, it ain't going to work for them. There are no gyms, there are no health clubs, and unless they have a gym in their house, none of them do, unless they have a health area, a workout area within their home, none of them do, how are we going to do this? My worry is more about that. We're getting information to the kids. I have not done a group call, mainly because I have more questions than I have answers for them right now. Most of the stuff I'm doing is texting to stay in touch, end quote. So, That's what we're saying here um, when it comes to this NBA draft process because it is a situation where I don't know exactly what the changes are going to be and and how, you know, all of these, um, you know, lines of communication are going to be different based on the fact that that lots of these uh, players are not going through the traditional route uh, of having, you know, these normal NBA probably in-person combines like they usually do, or or if they're affected, you know, are they moved back? And that's where, you know, John Calipari is not the only coach that's probably thinking this right now, because it's something where there are going to be a lot of players that put themselves into this NBA draft process. But as we've continued to talk about, could it result in more players coming back to college this year because of the unknowns with the NBA and not knowing exactly how things are going to play out? Because if they do have to make this decision by a certain date, um, you know, it, it puts these these players in an interesting spot because, um, you know, are they really going to, are more of them going to enter the process? And, and I think that's the thing that coaches are going to be talking about uh, here as this whole thing plays out is is making sure that their players understand 
how this process could look. And I thought Eric Musselman really did a good job of, of, you know, laying out how this process could look for them this season, even without, you know, knowing the specifics. Um, And and is that going to result in more of these players coming back? You know, for John Calipari, it may be a little different because he always has guys uh, we know that are going to probably, a lot of them are going to be projected first round type of picks. Um, And and some of these other guys could play their way into that based on how they perform, um, you know, for NBA scouts. But, not knowing if they're even going to get that opportunity to perform or if it's mostly going to be scouts watching players on film, uh, communicating with them, that's where things get interesting. And, uh, you know, I think it's just it's going to be interesting uh, to, to watch how all of this plays out uh, because uh, it could have a significant impact on college basketball rosters. And, and it could be something where if a lot of these players decide to come back to college, um, it's going to be good for the college game uh, because you're going to have some of these stronger teams uh, with more experience rather than, than more roster turnover maybe uh, than usual. But uh, it, it's going to be interesting. I don't know exactly, you know, as, as John Calipari said, as Eric Musselman said, um, there's a lot more, you know, questions than answers right now. And uh, I think once uh, those answers start to get a little bit more clear, uh, then we'll be able to know exactly uh, how it could look for college basketball and how uh, this uh, potential, you know, how these potential changes to the NBA draft process uh, could affect uh, the college game. But uh, that'll wrap up this episode of Locked on SEC podcast. Uh, be sure to subscribe. Head over to any podcast app you use. Just search for Locked on SEC. And again, if you enjoy the show, take a few seconds, leave a nice five-star rating and review. That just helps the show reach more people. And for everything else, you can follow me on Twitter at the Blake Level. And uh, as we continue to say, the NFL draft coming up. And uh, if you're excited for it and want some great coverage of it, uh, just tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked on NFL Draft for great NFL draft coverage. But uh, thanks as always for listening, and I'll talk to you guys next time here on the Locked on SEC podcast, part of Locked on Podcast Network. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked on Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.